0: This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. One welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, four thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio
1: Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 22 of Jordan Space. This week, we're going to be speaking with Debbie Roberts, CEO of the Ollie Foundation, a charity that funds suicide intervention skills, training for adults and organisations, and works with young people. Before we meet Debbie, let's welcome my regular co-host, Danny and Paul. And this week both, we're, we're going to chat a little bit about an initiative which has been very much a part of the Jordan legacy. And that is this month's Baton of Hope UK tour. Paul, for many of our listeners who are maybe unaware, perhaps you can explain how we came to be involved with the Baton of Hope.
2: Yeah, sure, Steve. We did talk a little bit about this in our very first ever Jordan Space show with Mike McCarthy. And, and obviously Mike is, is central to this story as well as uh, the Jordan legacy. So, yeah, it was after the, the Hope for Life conference in December 2021, which was obviously two years after um, you losing Jordan, and, uh, and it was very raw still for you and, and for Mike um, losing Ross. and uh, But, you know, the Hope for Life conference was a fantastic uh, event, an uplifting event. But we're talking afterwards about what next. Um, but we're talking about all the different things that we could do and raising awareness was something that we thought was really important to to raise the public consciousness, but acknowledging that uh, it has to be more than just raising awareness. It has to be about prompting action. So we knocked around a few ideas. We met up in January and between us, we came up with this idea of the baton of hope. Um, I mean, I think we all kind of contributed uh, to it. um, But certainly, you know, I remember, you know, floating the idea of it being something like an Olympic torch or, or some kind of way of, of getting people together and everybody kind of threw in loads of great ideas and the, ter- and the term hope was really critical. And then the baton mm-hmm. of hope came out as an idea. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, we formed a steering group with um, the two of us, um, with Mike McCarthy, with Ian McClure. And, and we started putting together the concept, developing the concept of the baton of hope. Uh, we started uh, developing the vision and strategy Uh, And that sort of developed through that sort of January to April period in in, uh, 2022. Um, And then, you know, I think we started to realise just how big it was getting. (laughs) Um, And uh, we needed more people involved. We started getting a lot more people involved and getting a broader organising committee uh, together. And um, obviously it's developed from there.
1: Yeah, and then of course we went through a very very busy summer, as you say, um, developing the the strategy and the plans for the initiative of the Baton of Hope. But then in September 2022, we we made the the difficult decision to to step back from that uh, committee of the Baton of Hope, uh, and this was really, I think, recognition that we were starting to lose a little bit of focus on on the the Jordan legacy um, and our own mission and vision. Since we made that decision, um, of course, Mike and the team have put an incredible amount of time and effort in to try and ensure that this month's tour helps raise awareness about suicide prevention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we've you yeah, know we took that decision to step back because uh, it was such an enormous undertaking, and um, and and you know, the Jordan Legacy has so many other things that we're trying to do. with spinning so many plates. It's going to be a huge, high-profile event. What we also need to, uh, hopefully, what we'll also see is based on those early discussions that, that uh, you and I were involved in in shaping the baton, it will be more than raising awareness, it will be about prompting action. Uh, we've recently seen the publication of a, a first draft of a workplace charter, which was very much part of the vision that we shaped, you know, that we wanted to see charters for action. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be lots of other sort of actions prompted. I mean, we talked about you know, encouraging people to do training, like the Zero Suicide Alliance training. So I'm hoping that things like that will be incorporated into the Baton of as well, so it will have an impact in that sense, and then we'll see what the legacy is.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and Danny, like us, of course, you've been closely following the Baton of Hope's uh, progress. Uh, what, are you, what are you hoping it's going to achieve?
3: Yeah, I think um, anything that encourages more awareness around suicide and, has the potential to bring about change and improving services for those with mental health issues and those in crisis is a, a fantastic thing. Um, all of us in, involved in the field of suicide prevention ultimately want to do all we can to save lives so I think anything that can help that to be achieved can only be a good thing um, and I think that the whole idea of the Baton of Hope tour really reflects the importance of unity, of coming together and of collaboration to save lives.
1: Yeah, and this really is, is again, it's about pulling, you know, as many people together as, as possible. And we've seen many people, of course, uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, just saying how they've been selected to carry the baton uh, in their particular part of the country. And, and many of them really, you know, uh, quite o- overwhelmed, excited and, and just glad to be a part of this. So in, in that respect, um, it's, it's definitely having a positive impact. Now, despite us stepping back from our full time involvement with the Baton of Hope, the Jordan legacy has continued to be recognised for our contribution in helping create the vision and strategy. Um, And on June the 28th, I've been invited personally to carry the baton on the final part of the Sheffield leg and handed over to the mayor of South Yorkshire in Tudor Square that evening. Uh, The Jordan Legacy has also been invited to speak at the Baton of Hope's conference moving toward a zero suicide society on September the 15th at the Octagon Centre in Sheffield. Well, many thanks both. We're going to take a break now to listen to another track chosen by our guest this week, Debbie Roberts. When we come back, we'll be chatting with Debbie about her career in well-being, mental health and suicide prevention. And how five years ago, when a desperate family reached out to her about their suicidal daughter, Debbie made a decision to try something radically different. We'll hear what the outcome of that action was for the family and the work now being done at the Ollie Foundation. Before then, let's listen to Moondance by Van Morrison.
4: This This is is Yawa Radio.
1: Welcome back, everyone. And Debbie, welcome to you. And thank you for joining us on Jordan Space today.
4: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. What an incredible show this is. And uh, yeah, a little bit in awe because you've had some amazing guests and conversations. So thank you for including me. Uh,
1: Now, Debbie, you're you're CEO of the Olly Foundation. And for anyone not familiar with the Olly Foundation, it uh, stands for One Life Lost is Enough. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, maybe you could tell us a little bit um, about yourself and and how the Olly Foundation came about.
4: I was thinking just yesterday actually how everything in my life and I'm sure everyone's the same actually this is not unique there are threads and they just continue and they wrap up in a beautiful bow at some point Um, so it feels like unintentionally but all paths led to Ollie so Ollie as you said stands for One Life Lost is Enough it was set up by three parents um, all who um, actually live in Hertfordshire each had tragically lost a son to suicide, and they met in a sobs group, um, survivors of bereavement by suicide. And the the desire to do something um was was just they, they couldn't ignore it. And so they came together and set up the charity. All their boys were sort of um older teens, um uh young adults, and they wanted to to look at, well, if if most young people most of the time are in education. I know that's not true for everybody, but if that's where most of our young people are, what do our schools know about suicide prevention? So they had a a deep dive um, looking at safeguarding, but what they didn't see was anything related to suicide. This was really concerning for them so they they thought about this and what they decided to do was bring in some expert training so they did some fundraising and they actually generated quite a lot of money um and the intention was to deliver this training to teachers and parents my name was quite well known locally i'd written a um a report with young people because i was um at the time uh uh, responsible for or, or working with a lot of young people that were interested in local government and local politics. We were looking at what we now know to be the the sort of, we call the mental health crisis with young people. And this report had, had, had surveyed thousands of young people.
1: You spent 11 years at Hertfordshire County Council as a youth participation officer. Can you tell us a little bit about what that role entailed?
4: Yes well I I wasn't a qualified youth worker which which you should be but I was I'm trained in, in as a Vygotskian early years educator um, I have a master's in emotional intelligence and education um and I'd written a book and it was rather a compelling uh, interview I guess um so they allowed me to join their ranks which I was very grateful for I had opportunities to do some incredible work so one of the pieces of work over and above the, the mental health report was um, setting up training and then running something called uh, the Empathy Project, which trained older teens and young adults, trained them and deployed them in AE. So they worked out of two AE units, Watford and Lister, and they were there to um, respond to young people going through the unit. So they were trained in suicide prevention, mental health first aid. And it was really quite a glorious time, actually. Um, those young people were making such a difference to those coming through the through the unit, both, both the patients and um, often the parents with them. Um, now, uh, the youth work team in Hertfordshire, they have adult youth workers based in, in the unit, um, really doing a sort of blend of youth work and social work and joining everyone together. And for most places in the country... Our mental health team and our A&E team, they're they're not the same teams. And um, in many cases, they won't even share the same uh, computer system. So can't even share notes. So although you go there in a crisis and you may be um, admitted onto a ward or you may be in in the A&E unit for a few days, many times you actually become the patient of the CAMS team or the crisis team. And it's like ordering from McDonald's and sitting in Pizza Express. Um, and that can be very challenging. It's one of the reasons the Empathy Project was was so beautiful and why youth workers in hospitals also offer such a great sort of joining up the dots um, provision.
1: Two, two years after becoming a youth participation officer in 2013, you took on an additional role at Hertfordshire County Council as a project officer, um, where I believe you developed and led a number of different projects. One of them was the Empathy Project. Tell us a little bit more about some of that work.
4: Well, in addition to the empathy project, we we looked at the growing need of of young people coming to youth type provisions who were struggling with their well being, um, and we we decided as a service to train everybody in CBT cognitive behavioral therapy Um, and delightfully we were able to find an expert fabulous course um, created by two mental health nurses that was designed for non-clinicians so um, I led on that work and and I'm really although I'm no longer there I'm really proud that at that time um, almost all the service was trained in CBT and was able to use those skills to support young people. I wrote the mental health course for the Royal Society of Public Health and I led on their Youth Health Champion Program here in here in Hertfordshire and we've trained hundreds of young people to become Youth Health Champions. Um, it's actually a Level 2 certificate, so equivalent to a GCSE um, and it, it was just a delightful course to write and deliver um, and we have young people now who, who reach out to me who are in their final year at university, um, who've trained. Trained as a medic who've trained as a paramedic um, and and they will cite you know they will say what I learned then during that course has has steered me in the direction I'm I'm traveling on now and that's that's what youth work's all about isn't it making a difference to young people.
1: Absolutely and I suppose a question in my mind now here is is was it that inspired you to particularly want to focus on 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 young people and and mental health issues?
4: I was very interested in why you could be the best version of yourself in public and be something different behind closed doors. Um, so these were questions that that always intrigued and interested me. And so I read everything. I I read and went to every event and training. Um, I, I just binged on everything I could to help me make sense of my world. Neuroscience and the science of emotion just was a driver in me from, I don't know, as soon as I could think, really. I, I just happened to come across somebody called Galena Dolia, who is the world's leading expert in vygotskan education. Um, and I enrolled my children in her school and I started volunteering there. And um, I think I did one session and she took me aside and she said, Um, you do know you're a gifted teacher, and I'm going to sponsor you to become a teacher because this is where you're supposed to be.
1: Now you've talked about some of the courses and the the training that you've done. Uh, you've also authored a a number of uh, books um, as well. Um, How would you say your books, you know, given the education, given your own approach to this, how would you say your books, your talks and and courses maybe differ a little bit from some of the more mainstream um, options out there?
4: One, it's one book by the way it should be several books because it's massive it's about this big it, you could use it as a doorstep um so it, it probably should be broken down into several um well i think it is the the background that comes from the neuroscience um certainly the the ideas for, from Vygotsky, but most importantly uh dr ellie goldratt who created uh the theory of constraints toc and that for me all the work I'd done, all the things I'd read, all the courses I'd been on, all the great, great academics I'd listened to. And when I came to TOC, there was this one thing that none of them had picked up on. And maybe they had, but they just assumed everyone knew that one piece of information or, or what, were asking those questions. Um, but it's implicit within uh, within TOC. Let me give you an example. Goals, SMART goals. Um SMART is amazing. It's an acronym we use all the time, don't we? In the workplace, in education, personally. Um, But there's a but. (laughs) And the but is it assumes you know how to do it. It was checking our assumptions. And there are so many assumptions, like our trustees uh, and founders who, who wanted to check. They assumed that suicide prevention would, of course, it would be part of safeguarding. But when they checked, it wasn't. And when I joined as a trustee, I had to deliver a very, very, very delicate bomb in the boardroom. And I reminded them of the sort of shock that they had had when they'd realised that their schools wouldn't have this uh, knowledge necessarily. And I had to let them know that neither do their doctors, neither do any of the wonderful people working in A&E. And I, you know what, neither do counsellors. You know, my book, as you know, is called uh, "You Know References Stories and Storytelling," and I've I have said this so many times, but I believe that we're we're living in um, a modern day version of several fairy stories. One is the Emperor's New Clothes, where if you're a teacher or a medic, you know you don't have this information, but everyone else looking outside, looking in, believes you do. And so, I suppose Ollie is a little bit like that little child who says the emperor's not wearing any clothes and and we're we're we know for sure that doctors and paramedics and nurses and consultants and pharmacists and teachers many many of them absolutely want this information it's crucial to them
1: I, I know we're going to talk much more about goal setting and the Ollie's work and you have mentioned your, your book of course and as storytelling for better uh uh, behavior. It's been really interesting the last couple of shows and guests that we've had. One of the central themes has been around creativity and the important role this this plays.
4: What I ended up doing with with my book and the work I, I went on to do with young people, and and I've done this in Poland, in Japan, in America, in Mexico. I, I've been so fortunate to be able to travel with this work, um, and it's always the same. And I use the story actually. Gen- usually, I use the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And what I, what I ask the students I work with is, can we find a win-win solution? Can we create an, the end to the story where everyone lives happily ever after? Is that possible? Um, I think, you know, that's a metaphor for a lot. Well, it's not a metaphor. It's, an, it's a, um, an early exploration of some of the big questions we're battling with now as adults, right? So if we look at Little Red Riding Hood, Where's the conflict? And children, whether they're Japan, Poland, Mexico, England, will say, well, the wolf wants to eat red and red doesn't want to be eaten. Okay, fine, what, what are we going to do about this? And um, they usually come to the point where they say, well, well, the wolf needs to stop eating people and he has to eat something else. And there's lots of bunnies in the in the woods. And then one delightful child, and I promise you this is true because it's happened every time, thank goodness, there's one child at least who puts up their hand and says, excuse me, um, I don't think rabbits want to be eaten either. Ah, okay. So, what are we going to do about this? And they end up creating a massive lifestyle choice for the wolf to become a vegetarian.
2: Debbie, you've talked about um, the, the, we started talking about the de DePolly Foundation and then you've summarized some of the work you've done in, in youth development and, um, I'm just interested to know to what extent you was kind of driven more by the developments of people and and children and young people and opportunities. And then you kind of moved into mental health suicide or whether you've always had some interest in safety and and that's moved you into uh, working in suicide prevention. What was really kind of the fundamental driver there?
4: Paul, cool. I, I, I didn't have any intention to work um, in 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 the world of suicide prevention. That had never ever been on the horizon for me. Um, and um, I do remember years and years and years and years ago, again around probably a decade or so ago, going to a huge uh, conference um, for coroners and hearing, you know. Uh, Quite incredible conversation. And I came away and I remember speaking to my uh, boss at Hertfordshire County Council at the time and saying, well, because he asked me, you know, what was it all about and, and what what use had it been to the youth service? And, and I said, well, the, the question I'm left with is um, something that was made very, very clear, which is somebody who has tried to end their life, uh, that that is a significant risk factor for suicide. Mm. And I, I, and I remember saying to him, I, I just staggered. If we know that that's a risk factor, why are we not collecting that data? I think there's a huge piece of work that we can do here. And I remember him saying to me at the time, well, be careful what you wish for, because you never know how that's going to um, come back. And lo. <laughs> Here I am um, uh, holding the reins for the Olly Foundation and, and doing just that.
1: Uh, Debbie, we're going to be talking much more about the, the Ollie Foundation in the next part of our conversation with you. We're going to have a, a short break for some music now. Um, uh, we're going to play uh, another track now that you've chosen, which is You Are the Universe by the brand new Heavies. What is it about this this track particularly that resonates with you?
4: Oh, my goodness. It is so uplifting. Um, you know, it, it just speaks to everything that we are trying to convey to people Um, and we we use it uh, when people are sitting patiently waiting for the session to begin for our goal setting Um, and it reminds people you can do anything you're the universe uh, and and I absolutely believe that each one of us is the center of our own universe right
1: Brilliant. Well, I think that's a perfect lead into the next part of our conversation. So we're going to take a break now and listen to the brand new heavies and you are the universe. And we'll be right back after this track.
4: With inspirational guests from around the world, inspirational quotes, the inspirational book of the week, the meditation hour, the quiet zone and feel good music. Yawa radio is about well being, happiness and finding the beauty within. Enjoy, be beautiful, be happy, be inspired. This is Yawa Radio.
1: Welcome back. We're talking with our guest, Debbie Roberts, CEO of the Ollie Foundation, which, Debbie, you describe on your LinkedIn profile as being a suicide prevention charity that supports people to have courageous conversations about suicide risk and. Protective uh, factors within different communities. I'm interested in your use of the term courageous. What why is that particularly important?
4: You know what, Steve? Thank you for asking that. And if I'm honest, it's a term that I'm not actually sure I love particularly, because it does infer that it's brave and this is something you have to sort of muster the energy for, um, which which is actually quite the opposite of what we're we're trying to convey at Ollie. But I also appreciate that for many, 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 in fact, the overwhelming majority of people, life is a gift and it's precious. And there are all sorts of um, uh, fears we have about talking to somebody uh, about their pain, uh, whatever pain it is, whether it's grief, whether it's somebody in overwhelm and we're worried that they might be thinking about suicide. So for many people, it it does feel courageous, perhaps, to To have that conversation let's talk a
1: little bit now about the ollie foundation and and the work you're doing first of all um yeah who who is ollie aimed at who are the people you're most looking to to help
4: i think if we were to really drill it down we support the supporters so we don't have a counseling line we don't have a crisis line um that's not to say we don't get those kind of calls, but we, we certainly are not set up for them. Um, we are there to support those who are supporting others, whether it's in a professional or personal capacity. So we might train professionals in how to use a safe plan or, or to understand different elements of, of uh, suicidology. We're there for parents who, who have often parents are sent home from a with a child. Um, who has recently tried to end their life and for the parent they don't understand why surely there's a mental illness surely somebody needs to be doing something and 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 just basic questions like can I go to sleep can I go out shopping we've got no food but I I don't know if I can leave them they they have no idea what to do so um, many times we find ourselves taking those kind of calls fundamentally we we um We are there for everyone, but we we do have a focus on on reducing youth suicide. But the work we do, it's applicable to everybody. Can I just ask,
2: you said earlier on that when it was first set up and Mm. you had this parents who lost their sons had this realisation that there wasn't anything there for, um, you know, training wise. You said that initially you did some training with um, parents and teachers. So was it was was there an issue then around whether it would be appropriate to do training with young people and that evolved or what was um, at what point did you focus on the young people themselves.
4: So for our founders, uh, they were very clear that that the only the only knowledge they had and the only experience they had was through their tragic lived experience. Um, they They had. No prior knowledge or background in this area, so initially they they brought in the very well respected um, training delivered uh, created by Living Works. Um, so uh, there are a number of trainings that they offer. The ones that we were most um, often delivering were their half day course and their two day course called Assist. And we still to this day deliver those trainings. So today we're we're offering training um we will work in schools with young people from infant all the way through to university but we're also supporting all those people that are supporting those young people and that's probably the bulk of our work um we also have a lot of downloadable resources that we've made free uh that pe- that schools can can uh act, or anyone can access from our website but you know steve i can't tell you how many times a week we will get a call from a headmaster or a headmistress. Um, or the head of well-being who just want to chat and say, look, we think we've done everything we should, but can we just run this past you? So sometimes it is just those conversations, um, like you would pick up a phone to your aunt or an older sister, or somebody just to check in. Sometimes we get calls, as I say, from parents who've returned from AE um, and they are struggling, they haven't had any information really given to them and we we talk them through the process of of what is likely to happen next what their options are what they can do I can't tell you the number of mums and dads who after 15-20 minutes the call ends that they're crying but they're crying out of relief and they'll say nobody has sat down and explained this to us thank you
3: uh, Debbie, I've heard you talk in the past about um, how the olive Foundation advocates that in the world of suicide prevention, you don't need an ology to save a life. I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that.
4: Absolutely. For, for many people, um, Suicide is 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 suggests that there must be a mental illness. It, it's it's indicative of, of mental illness. That's mm-hmm. our assumption, but actually, you would be surprised how many people can um, feel suicidal, have suicidal thoughts, and and they would never meet the criteria for a mental illness. Um, now, when we, when you believe that there must be a mental illness involved, and I, and I really appreciate why we come to those conclusions. It's easy then to conclude that you need somebody with anology, a psychologist or, or, or somebody else who, who specializes in this. We worry that we might make the situation worse. We, we worry, we could put an idea in someone's head. But overwhelmingly, mental illness means anxiety and depression. And do you know that, but an enormous amount of people? in the UK, or on antidepressants, our doctors, our airline pilots, our police officers, our teachers. Um, it, it is uh, being depressed is what we term a mental illness.
1: Well, well Debbie, just something to come in with there, because I, I know you and I have spoken quite a lot, and I know one of your areas of focus at, at OLLI has been safer prescribing.
4: In a nutshell, like all medication, Um, All medication has side effects. Now, quite bizarrely, the side effects um, with antidepressants, there's a whole list of them, but but three, which are really bizarre when you think about it, are deepening anxiety, depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, the reality is that for many people, um, they're not given the support to understand that that there are side effects that they can be overwhelming um and if your well-being deteriorates you absolutely just like you would with antibiotics if you get an upset tummy you probably can live with that but if you get a rash that is an allergic reaction and it must must be monitored and noted and many times if you get a rash the first thing that will happen is you will be rem- those you'll be told to stop those antibiotics and let's put you on a, a, a different kind well it's the same with antidepressants a prescription safe plan is a very simple it's a tweak it's just a tweak and actually it's a tweak that is completely in line with nice guidelines
1: and how, how are you getting that out debbie is this is are you pushing for a change in legislation or is, is are you reaching out to gps how are you how are you directing this plan
4: OK, so right now we're, we're working much more closely with public health in Hertfordshire, uh, which I'm delighted about, and also Manchester University and uh, uh, trainee pharmacists. So we're still at the pilot stage where we're developing this and testing that it really does work and it works in all, all situations. Um, but, you know, the dream is to have this really as part of maybe the EMIS system so that when a GP or any clinician prescribes, they can't do it without creating this very, very brief, prescription safe plan.
2: Debbie on the way that you've taken part in the Jordan Legacies Action Research Project on how to reduce the number of suicides because they've got stuck at this sort of 6,000 plus level for so many years now and you've talked about the theory of constraints and the, the broader concept of, of constraints as well as the specific methodology of focusing on the constraints so I just wondered um, you know what your summary would be of what it is that's stopping us from getting those suicide numbers down
4: well that is a big question and and it has um there isn't just one answer um certainly you know we were just talking about um prescriptions and antidepressants um the 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 toc element we know has been really effective I had always considered that the the various components of TOC, and I always had a theory that it would work in suicide prevention, but it's completely unethical to go around looking for suicidal people and say, can I test this out on you? Um, that that would never do, would it? However, there was a, a moment in time where um, a young woman, she'd been seen by her doctors, seen by the crisis team. Um, and... She was still intending to end her life that day, and her family knew that I did this work in goal setting and critical thinking and they rang and they said, "Would you talk to her now what you need to know is that two days earlier, my best friends, their son took his life. he was the same age as my son. we all grew up together. I introduced these two people, so I was reeling from the death of this young boy so on that Monday when I got that call, um there was no there was no way I was going to say no at that time I was part of children's services though so the safeguarding sort of wrap that I was in would not have allowed me to do that but at that moment I didn't care I just couldn't care less we were not going to lose another young person to suicide and I did meet with her and that's the first thing to say the fact that she would w- meet with me Uh, sort of reconfirmed another belief that I have which is that nobody wants to die but many people don't know how to go on living in the situation they're in and we used the um, conflict resolution and the goal-setting elements of TOC and at the end of our conversation she was no longer suicidal in fact she was smiling and content and she felt in control enough of the various things that had been tripping her up to feel like no I don't need to kill myself to solve these problems and that is why goal setting has become so important to the Ollie Foundation we just want to share this knowledge with anyone who wants it um, and to to have it cascaded because we really do think it could help many people and I just want to make that that differentiation between. Um, people who feel overwhelmed and then people for instance somebody living with a eating disorder this is an incredibly complex mental illness Um, now what I'm talking about may support that person but I'm not saying it's going to make the difference whereas I know it's made the difference for people who have just felt incredibly overwhelmed to the point where they're struggling with anxiety and low mood
1: Um Debbie, thank you um, for today. Really enjoyed our conversation. We're coming toward the end now. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story and the amazing work that you're you're doing at Ollie. Whenever we come to the end of a show, we with every guest we we have, we we want to end on a, on a message of, of hope. And I think there's been a huge amount of hope shared with us during the course of our conversation today. But before you leave, um, if you had a message of hope to kind of share with everybody listening to the show today. Uh, who would that be aimed at and what would your message be?
4: I I have had the absolute honour and privilege of working with people who, who are in the darkest of days for whatever reason. Their parents have been murdered. They've been put into care. Um, really, really terrible, horrible situations. Um, and, you know, in that moment, I might say, Let, you know what, I'll pop the kettle on, turn the light on, let's, let's have a cup of hot chocolate, hot chocolate. I absolutely understand what toxic positivity is about. But sometimes we do have to look at those small things because there was electricity and and we can boil the kettle and we can sit here with a little bit of warmth. Um, The boy who was mercilessly bullied in school um, and and one day I spoke to him and I said, you know, what, what do you have to be grateful for today? Do you think? And he said, the boy that picked me up at the bottom of the stairs after he'd been pushed down them. And I do, I, I understand it's a very, it can feel like a very thin veil between hope and toxic positivity, but there are things, there are things that we can enjoy. And the more we focus on them, um, actually, the more we get to see them. And you have one life, whatever you believe, whatever your cultural religious beliefs are, you have one life. And I have one life today, this time as Debbie, and you're here as Steve. And Let's make the most of it.
2: No,
1: I think a, a wonderful message, Debbie. Thank you. Uh, before we go, we're going to be playing a couple of more tracks that you've chosen for us to play today. And the next track we're, we're going to to play is uh, a song called "Company." It's by Ricky Lee Jones, uh, uh, an artist I remember from my teenage youth and a massive hit in back in the in the seventies. Yeah. Um, why this song particularly?
4: Well, you know, tears actually have quite a healing power. Uh, This song brings me to my knees. It's not, for me, a happy song. Um, It is about missing someone so much and hoping one day to be together again. And, um, yeah, it brings me to my knees every time I hear it. But I also know that sometimes a good cry is just what you need. So for anyone listening to this who needs a good cry... um,
1: get, Get the tissues... Yeah, Yeah, and a message for everybody after that when we finish the show today we're going to be playing fun 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 by pharrell williams so we're going to kind of lift things uh up up again at the at the end (laughs) debbie thanks so much been an absolute pleasure having you join us on jordan's space today Uh, and let's listen to company by ricky lee jones
0: feel good music to start your day and lots lots more join me seven till ten every day of the week for your breakfast right here on the radio
1: welcome back everyone we were just listening to another track chosen by our guest debbie roberts uh, which was accompanied by ricky lee jones uh danny uh paul um another you know interesting in- interview there with uh debbie about her her own personal experience in suicide prevention and well-being and, and with young people um and of course her work with the ollie foundation danny what were, what were some of the key things that that you took away from our conversation with debbie
3: well, I think the work that Debbie and the Ollie Foundation do is is so important in helping to prevent suicides. And it's obviously something that Debbie's hugely passionate and, and knowledgeable about. And, um, you know, she recognises and um, the OLLI Foundation does where the gaps are in terms of mental health support and what needs to be done and the training that needs to be delivered to support those who may be in crisis and suicidal, which is obviously such important work, as we know.
1: Uh, Paul, you yeah, know, what, what, what were you, some of your thoughts from our conversation with Debbie?
2: Yeah, I was trying to sort of piece together earlier on the timeframes of when Debbie was involved in various things and obviously being a parent as well. And But you can see all the different influences with young people and wanting to try and help young people, help with their development, help them be focused and fulfil their potential. And then obviously when they're not well, to look at how to help people through, young people through difficult periods. And that's all led, as Debbie said, all these kind of roads have all led to the Olive Foundation as almost the perfect landing spot for Uh, you know what she wants to to achieve and and yeah the Olive Foundation does amazing work I think that um we talked at the beginning of the show about the Baton of Hope tour and the need to prompt action and and um, you know to do what we can to help and I noticed the Olive Foundation is involved with the Baton of Hope and uh, they're running a number of free workshops online workshops or sessions for people and so that's good to hear Uh, and when you look at some of the stuff that Debbie does around goal setting around, you know, using the theory of constraints, Uh, you know, some really interesting stuff in there, which, uh, you know, we need to think more widely as well. And one of the thoughts I had during that interview was, you know, that we can can look at, you know, why the suicide numbers haven't come down passionately over the last 15, 16 years. Um, One of the things we can do there is look at the constraints, look at the barriers, look at the blockages, uh, you know, so it's an interesting kind of angle to to take and, uh, you know, one we must take for sure. So Debbie's prompted some interesting thinking along the, the, the course of the interview.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, the, the conversation around goal setting constraints, as you say, using smart goals. It, it's very much something we've talked about um, since we founded the Jordan Legacy about almost taking a business approach to yeah. reducing the number of suicides. So, yeah, yeah. That, that makes um, a, a lot of sense. Well, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. My thanks to Danny and Paul and to our guest this week, uh, Debbie Roberts from the Ollie Foundation. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful as always. And if you felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicide... Please do get in touch either via our website at thejordanlegacy.com and you can email us at hello at the JordanLegacy.com. You can also engage with us on social media by following the Jordan legacies CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter, Instagram as well, using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. And of course, you can find us on Facebook at the Jordan Legacy. Um you can listen to recordings of all our previous shows on our website by choosing the menu, Jordan Space. For now, and from Danny, Paul, and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy, and above all, hopeful rest of your week. I'm going to leave you with one final track chosen by Debbie, which is Fun, Fun, Fun by Pharrell
4: Williams.
0: This, this is, is Yawa, Yawa Radio.
4: Radio.
0: A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live, online 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at yawaradio.co.uk And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio, or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright
2: applies.